Welcome to the Innovation Conversation, a podcast about innovators, both in business and real life. Hosted by myself, Ricardo Pesqual, and Harry McDonough. Today's episode is sponsored by Hyperskill. Hyperskill is a learning and training platform that enables people from all over the world to learn new tech skills. If you're looking to learn new tech skills, this is a platform to choose. You can find out more about them on hyperskill.org. Today we are talking with Sally Lowe, co-founder of Educrate, about the challenges of starting a business while still in university. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Innovation Conversations. Today you have uh, Sally from Educrate, which I'm going to completely mispronounce all the time. Sally, welcome. Hi, Ricardo. Hi, Harry. Great to meet you guys. It's a pleasure having you here. Uh, we were just talking that uh, you did a wonderful pitch at one of our events, um, but tell, tell our audience who actually hasn't been to the event, it's the first time to see you here uh, live on, on, on our channel, so tell, tell the audience about, about yourself. What do you do? What's Edu- Educrate? And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Sally. I'm also currently a economic student at King's College London. In the meantime, I'm also a co-founder uh, for the ad tech startup called Educrate. So essentially what we do is, <laughs> yeah, Educrate, it's a tricky one. So essentially what we are trying to do is basically we're creating an online marketplace for students, um, graduates, and also educators Uh, to help them to find their perfect ideal matches. So basically think of us as a combination of Fiverr and Reddit. Mm-hmm. So it's like a marketplace, but then you also have that kind of community building elements to it. Um, so that's essentially what we do. Okay, that's very cool. And how, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite unusual for, well, it's not very, that unusual, but it's, um, it shows a lot when you have someone in uni and they're already starting at their own business. So how did you come about with, with this idea? was actually um quite a coincidence i would say like mm-hmm. it just happened so people often people often come to me and like asking me oh how did you actually come up with a startup idea i mm-hmm. think at the end of the day it really depends on what you experience so sometimes it just come all of a sudden so basically in terms of educate um mm-hmm. since i graduated from high school i have been doing tutoring for economics, for different subjects for quite a long time. And I realized a lot of the times the kind of challenges that students face are pretty similar. So for example, they lack critical thinking, they aren't sure how to best structure their essays. So it's all that kind of common things that people are struggling with. Mm -hmm. And I found it quite inefficient to be carrying one-on-one tutoring sessions for an hour for that rate And I was thinking, oh, like, is there any way that this process can be made much more efficient and smoother mm-hmm. and quicker, basically? Um, so that's how I came through the came across this idea of building a platform, you know, trying to have that kind of community to support people, to give them the kind of help when they needed when navigating their academics, uni applications, all kind of stuff. Especially, I'm fully aware how. Not all students are privileged to uh, privileged enough to have that kind of further support outside of school, mm-hmm. um, which basically talent is everywhere, but opportunity isn't. Yeah. So I thought maybe you know creating this kind of community and platform that can also help. Um, so yeah, so the idea came. I was very hesitant in the beginning. I was like thinking through a lot of things, um, but at the end, I think it was that click. Like, if I don't do it now, I will probably regret. And given that I'm still in uni, 
yeah. the relatively cost the relative cost of trying something new is relatively lower mm -hmm. compared to when you actually ended up working full time and wanted to pivot to a startup. Right. So why not? Exactly. On that, you mentioned that you designed it. Again, you're a uni spin out. What's the backstory behind it? Because I know when we had our conversation a little while ago, it was around what was quite close to your heart. And again, it was an international offering that was, it was around IELTS and, and other areas as well. And uh, was it was it bachelor's, bachelorettes or qualification oh, yeah. or before university on that side? And I know our conversation revolved around how relevant that would be for the UK market, but you're not looking to really target the UK market at this time. It's more of a, a startup that's looking to go international on that end. I don't know if you could elaborate a little bit more on how you kind of see that, how you feel about you know, validating your idea in the UK and then taking it abroad to, to where you really see it's, its fit. Yeah, absolutely. So back then for my high school, um, I actually did this program. The, link, the, the name is quite fancy. It's called International Baccalaureate Diploma Program. So it's targeting students around the age of 16 to 19, 20 sometimes, um, but it's equivalent to A-level grades. So because I had that first-hand experience in navigating in that curriculum. And also from my tutoring experience, it's also revolving around that side of the curriculum. So I felt like if I were to do any kind of education or ad tech startup, starting with something that I have initial experience will be more suitable compared to starting with a, a wide range of different curriculums and you know struggle in managing them all. Um, so yeah, so at least for now, the term, the, the kind of plan is to start from international baccalaureate diploma program. Um, but obviously over the long run, if the kind of business model worked out, we'll probably try to adjust it and see if we can include other curriculums as well, such as IGCSE, uh, which you guys might be familiar with as well. But you can answer our audience actually, because we might have a, a bit of an international audience. What exactly yeah. does that for? The IG. So, yeah. Yeah. So we know that there's GCSE, which is, I think, uh, quite common in the UK. But then yeah. for international students, uh, for example, for myself, back then I did IGCSE. Mm -hmm. And what IGCSE typically leads people to do, it can be a wide range of different like high school curriculum. But international baccalaureate diploma is one of them. And yeah. it's actually notoriously reputable for how difficult it is as a program exactly so basically what you have to do is you have to choose six subjects rather than a level which has four subjects okay. and then in that six subjects you have to write extensive essays for many of them so it's really training you from high school that you need to start building that kind of research skills um, essay writing skills critical thinking skills and also you have to be very well-rounded in a way that you need to always have global awareness, this and that. So that is the reason why um, it has become the hardest mm -hmm. curriculum that a lot of people claim it to be. Yeah. But then, yeah, so this is more of the uh, curriculum description. But at the same time, because it's targeting international students, so students all around the world, um, that's why a lot of students actually, especially in the U.S., um, can't really afford additional support for this kind of challenging courses. Mm -hmm. But 
for International Baccalaureate Diploma Program. Let's keep it simple. Let's call them IB for now. <laughs> so, yeah. So for IB, it's typically offered in international or private schools in you know Asia, a lot of different countries. But then in the US, I think it's mainly offered in the public schools. So that's why you can see that kind of education disparity emerge. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of issues around it. So glad to be part of this mission and trying to build something yeah. <laughs> to solve and tackle it. Just as mentioned, what's the target market then? Because again, if you don't mind asking, whereabouts do you originate from? And is that kind of your first target market going on lived experience? Or do you kind of have something bigger like America or, or other regions that you really want to get into first? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's actually a really clever question. So um, we headquartered in Hong Kong and most of our connections and networks are also based in Hong Kong. But obviously the IB market is huge. And I think we, what we did as a team is that we kind of look at the entire market. There's a lot of stats around uh, the IB schools around the world. And we kind of pinpoint these specific regions that we want to target first. So I think um, the main targeted market right now is the US, India, um, Hong Kong, Singapore. So these places have most number of IB students. But then because we are also building a platform and a lot of our promotion channels are also kind of going around the world. So I think we are pretty open to welcome users from around the world. If they came across this platform, they think it's interesting, it's beneficial, then we obviously would love them to be on board. And then before I throw it over to Ricardo, because I know he's tempting to ask some more questions. How is the uni ecosystem really benefiting your user base? Because you've mentioned quite key areas, you know, uh, Singapore, America, India. And again, with the international recruitment aspect, especially around the university ecosystem, they're really strong markets. They're markets that pay a lot of money to come and come to the UK on that side. But are you finding the student unions and that student base to be really supportive and really interested in this idea and saying, oh, I, I actually did have lived experiences and this is really, really good to uh, to take back home and, and pass it on to family and friends? Yeah, definitely. I think there is a certain extent of support from there. So, for example, recently I was pitching in our, so I was pitching in one of the, um, what we call the King's Entrepreneurs Institute. So they have like an open pitch event thing where audiences are typically uh, university students. So when, when I went up and when I mentioned IB, a lot of people can actually resonate because many of them have that kind of background. And that's how that kind of network uh, event starts to work. But then at the same time, um, not sure if I asked the real question, but I think university definitely helped with spreading out the word, especially if you have similar experiences, that kind of message can quickly spread out. Um, but again, I think at the end of the day, opportunities is something that you should search and reach out to rather than just being there and wait. So that's why when I see that there's an open open mic pitch competition or pitch event, and I feel like, oh, this can be a great chance to kind of just get my message out and hopefully um, pass on the words to a wider range of audience. I mean, and it was, I mean, when he went to our event, I was pleased uh, <laughs> with how well he delivered the pitch. And it's actually quite impressive considering it was the first time you've done it, right? So it was really, really uh, impressive. Which kind of brings me to this question. How hard are you finding this whole process of, of starting a company? Because a lot of the people we talk to say, 
uh, one of two things. Either it's very, very easy or it's super complicated and you need to navigate this, you know, minefield full of complicated legal things. So how, how are you finding it? I, how should I put it? I think, you know, if you picture it this way, as a founder, um, mm -hmm. typically when you start, you're very hyped. You're like, oh my God, like I got this amazing idea. I'm going to execute it. I'm going to plan it out. I'm going to recruit people. So mm -hmm. your kind of motivation was almost at the peak level at the start. But then okay. when you actually look at the problems that you have to, you have to deal with on the table, from team recruitment, from building an MVP, from, I don't know, getting funds, like all those things kind of then slowing down your motivation a little bit and sometimes can, can be overwhelming. Um, but for me, what I found extremely, well, I would say one of the main, one of the most difficult challenge is definitely because I wasn't too familiar with the entire entrepreneurial side of things how to run a business how to do team recruitment um, how to build an MVP because I don't have technical knowledge that kind of stuff really troubled me especially with you know sometimes you have to deal with legal stuff as well um, can be overwhelming but I think what I did well is reach out to people if you not you are not sure about anything you can there's always people from your network that you can reach out to. And most of the time, they're also very uh, supportive, especially when it comes to helping the younger generations. They're more than willing to share their insights. So that's where you can benefit from that. Um, and at the same time, I think co-founder support was yeah. massive for me. I was really fortunate that my co-founder has quite a bit of network around the legal side of things. So when it comes to registering the company, um, he basically take, take care of that side. And then also when it comes to building the platform, he also get that kind of technical um, network that we can potentially reach out to. Nice so, yeah, so being a founder is really up and down uh, yeah. along the journey. But that also reflects how important resilience is. Mm -hmm. If you kind of snap in the middle and you decided to just stop going. Well, you actually lose a lot of opportunity to grow, but but yeah, I just wanted to keep pushing myself and then every time pushing myself out of the comfort zone, doing a lot of pitches, doing a lot of outreach, cold emails. Yes, I do get sometimes, you know, like <laughs> close doors were closed. That's, um, all, that's part of life, right? It's yeah, happen. yeah, exactly. You just have yeah. to keep going. We jump back to the bit on the legalities because it's quite interesting because we had a conversation around with a couple of individuals and they were quite interested in learning more about how, and I'm presuming, are you an international student or, mm -hmm. or any kind of residency? How do international students actually go about setting up a business in the UK? That's quite quite an interesting one, cause especially if you're on a, a student visa on that side. I can sort of smile there. Is that something we're allowed to say or not really allowed to say? But I was just wondering, how do you go about that? Is it, are you kind of registered in another country or are you, are you kind of set up here? Okay, that's like, it's, it's quite interesting to see how individuals could go around doing that as well. Yeah, so we set it up in Hong Kong during the summer. So that's why it can be a little bit tricky if we are to fundraise it in the UK. So that's why people are advising, like, you may be, maybe best for us to reach out to angel investors if we decided to go uh fundraising 
but that's more of a later story. <laughs> I was just about to ask, have you started your fundraising journey? But I guess uh, not, not yet. Um, I've been thinking through this as well, because I think at the moment, what we believe is that we need to test out our beta yeah. product first and try to see how the traction is like yeah. before approaching any investors. Um, so build like an MVP type of scenario or you already have that life? Yeah, so we are actually building it. Uh, it's like 60, 70% completed. Um, there has been some delay in the uh, product development side, but hopefully before 2021 comes, we can get it launched and yeah. get it tested. Yeah, it always takes a while. I mean, it's perfectly normal. And even even when you do have something finished, you then realize, oh, we made so many mistakes. We don't then need to change everything else. So that's perfectly normal. I think yeah. we find that a lot. Every time we, we talk with someone who's building the product, they always say, look, this is version one of many, and we know it's version one, right? So there's going to be many iterations of, of, of the product. And it's, that's perfectly normal. How are you finding this good question? Like, you've, you've gone to a lot of events and, and stuff. How are you finding the community aspect? Like, do you think people are generally very friendly and open and willing to help? Or do you find them more close and like, you need to constantly look over your shoulder type of scenario? That's actually, I would put it this way, maybe. So speaking from my, I would say like the September event that I went to with you guys, the pitch event, pitch slash networking event, I was... I was I was nervous at the beginning. Oh, because... you were nervous, especially when the microphone fell. You were very nervous. So, because I I think I tend to describe myself as an introvert, but I think that event literally pushed me to become an extrovert, and I ended up enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So, what I meant by that is, when I first went to Belushi, I was very lost. I was like, I'm not sure how to best position myself. I'm not sure how to really initiate great conversations that people are willing to carry in on that conversation with you. Um, but I think having small talks and then always help. Uh, having small talks always help mm -hmm. rather than directly pitching to them like, hey, this is my product. Are you interested? Come follow us on Instagram, that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so generally, I would say it also, it's hard to kind of conclude that oh, the community is supportive or not. Um, it's also, it's also hard to find the community, right? I mean, if you just, it's one event, it's like, is there a community there just, just by going to an event? Not, probably not. But then as you make connections, people tend to support you, right? Have you found that? that all, some of the connections will reach out to you and say, hey, I uh, you know, remember our conversation. I know you kind of you're struggling with this. Let me see if I can help you. That scenario. You, did that happen or not yet? Very rare. That's what Very I would say. That's pretty rare. Um, I think it's kind of like a mutual thing. Like first, obviously, you need to be You need to take the initiative to reach out to people. Mm -hmm. um, but then at the same time, I think you can also try to build a community of your own which is something that I have been trying recently through, for example, LinkedIn branding and promotions. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that some students who are also passionate about education and entrepreneurship, they ended up reaching out to me and kind of say like, oh, this is a great idea. Maybe I can introduce you to someone else. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I think a lot of 
founders, especially student founders, because I think the perspective is slightly different when you're a professional and a founder versus a student and a founder is slightly different. So for student founder, I definitely think that there can be more support around that field, mm-hmm. especially when you are bombarded with different business terminology, different yeah, exactly. business concepts, and you're like, oh my God, where should I go? <laughs> Who should I reach out to? Right. Um, but yeah, so because I've been through that process, so any of my friends who are interested in doing a startup, I'm always more than happy to give them some of my perspectives and experience. Because I think, you know, founders need to be supportive with one another. And it's yeah. so valuable, but has been overlooked by many. Yeah, um, it's a leader as well, because uh, as you said, it's, it's positioning yourself, whereas you have that community piece and everyone can kind of come to you, have these conversations and really build up. And where you're located and having that, you know, King's Entrepreneur Society and, and everything else on that end, it's, it's good because it gives you that opportunity to, you know, you're young on that end, you're still in uni, you have that story behind you because you'd be so surprised just reaching out to people on LinkedIn just for help and saying, hey, I'm building this idea. I was wondering if you could actually got a few minutes just to answer some questions. Obviously, if you reach out and ask for them, ask them for some money, it's never, ever going to work out really well, is it? So uh, unless, unless you're really, really lucky, which is one in a million, but just reaching out and saying, hey, I'm looking for some support, build up your own personal network, build up your own mentors, investors. And again, just reach out and say, okay, this is my community. Can I support them? Because what often happens is if you support them, they can actually turn back and, and really support you as well. Because what you realize is in London, even though it's quite vast, it's actually quite closed knit. So if you have one bad event for us, for instance, it could have ripple on effects everywhere else and vice versa. But you know, also the benefit is there's loads and loads of people there. So you may mess up on one event or you may mess up on one conversation, but at least you learn, you develop, you persevere. And you know, we're seeing some individuals and we, you know, one of our individuals on our podcast called Gabriel, he's with Tutti. He came on there and now he's running his own events and community. So, uh, you know, he's a, he's a potential challenger. I'm joking. He's not a challenger. He's, uh, but his ideas are really, really nice because he puts it around building that friend, building that family process and, you know, taking these startups and promoting their own services, even though it's his event, his stuff, but he wants the startups that he's working with to also benefit and grow and, and it helps him out as well. And I think that's the angle everybody should kind of take because that seems to be the only way you can really grow and develop it. Build that community, know where to go. And if you compare the UK to all the other markets, the UK is literally who you know. It doesn't matter about your education or anything. It's like if you know and you're in the right circle, you can really get out there and grow very, very quickly. But it's getting into those circles. It's getting into those close-knit communities. That's, that's the issue. How do you break those doors? And it often comes from one little conversation, opener an event, a pitching event, but it's, it's worth persevering. But yes, it's a, it's a very long waffle, but I, I like that community aspect and, and what you're doing is really good. <laughs> yeah, 100% agree with that. And also even one thing I found it really interesting is a lot of student founders, so I think I can better speak on behalf of them because we kind of share similar uh, perspectives and I've also had more connections and interactions with them. So a lot of times um, they are a little bit hesitant and not sure how to best present themselves in front of someone who is much more professional can be a vc or can be an angel investors so a lot of them actually go directly approaching them and be like hey this is my idea are you willing to invest that kind of approach which obviously that's not the best um so 
I definitely well, think that it cuts through the BS. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Really? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of want to take things. I, I tend to prefer taking things a bit slowly. Like mm -hmm. it's all about mutual exchange of values, isn't it? Like what can we offer you and what can you offer me? So that's why I think I really agree with the point that Harry mentioned. Like if you're, if you can offer something to the other person, and that person also has something that you that might be beneficial to you. Mm -hmm. uh, so you may want to, you know, be a little bit more strategic on that side rather than go and boom, please do so to me. <laughs> it's never about the absolutes. I, I find it in most of these conversations, it's about the, the many gradings you have in, in life. Because if you go black and white, it's like, oh, you want to invest? No, okay, bye-bye. And you walk away. Uh, but then you fail to realize actually that person might have something of value to you. And I, I actually remember something like that happened uh, to me in one of the events. Um, not not the ones run by us, but by someone else. And we, I went there, and they asked, so what do you do? Are, are you an investor? I was like, no. Oh, okay. And they literally turned their face away. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Just missed a really good opportunity to be on the podcast. And then I ended up talking with another guy. He's like, hey, would you like to be on the podcast? And then uh, it was actually a lady. She turns around like, oh, you have a podcast. Yes, I do. But guest was not invited. Um, so it goes to show that, um, yeah, it's all about being being aware that you might not have the yes you need, but they might help you out somewhere, some other places, or you might actually help them out with something else. You never know, right? That's why it's so important just to go out and talk to people and kind of see uh, what they're about. You do end up losing a bit of time, but then again, if you go to a couple of networking events, you know, you do get a lot more back than just you know, lost time. So. It takes the exactly. encouragement to, to really get out there because that's what I often found when I did my own business. It's it's getting that self-motivation to go to these events. And as you said, it's that encouragement to really talk to a random person. And I think it's that voice inside of your mind. And we went to one quite recently at Goldsmith Uni, and we met two individuals there who were, was it leadership or motivational coaches? And they're saying, oh, get rid of this imposter syndrome. And she was really, really uh, – pushing that imposter syndrome get out of your head it doesn't exist if you're if you're here you're here you shouldn't worry about what other people think you're in the room go for it what's the worst thing that's going to happen they're going to say no but but what she was saying it was it was quite inspirational and, and and i like also your angle which is take it very strategically as well how do i have something of value to go for it but then ricardo's perspective on going and say well there's no harm in actually reaching out with a question and saying can you help me or or positioning it slightly different because sometimes you can reach out to an angel or even a VC, or probably not a VC, probably an angel investor, and say, can I ask you a question? And I've got this idea. I'm at uni. I'm really looking to try and start, you know, grow and develop it, and I'm very, very new. Can I actually ask you some question? I'm not interested in the money. And sometimes they'll turn around and actually be a mentor for you. And if you can grow it and get somewhere, they can introduce you to their network as well. So it is quite swings and roundabouts. So sometimes it's how do you go, where do you feel comfortable, and it's just, as you said, just, just taking that leap. That's true. That's true. But then I think, well, I think definitely um, this is actually something I heard from a recent panel that we did at King's Entrepreneur Society, where one of the panelists was saying, if you are to present your idea to someone else, you may want to present who you are as a founder first. So let the other side know who you are as a founder, who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And then if they feel like, oh, you're, you know, you actually do have that kind of capability of being a founder, your personality, your perseverance, and so on. And then looking at your ideas, I think that kind of 
can be tra- can be more likely to be transformed into like a you know stronger bond and stronger support connections. But that's See, kind of like my take on it. No, but I think you're 100 percent right on this one. It's 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 a bit of a matchmaking exercise, isn't it? Because if you're looking for an investor, it's not just the monetary element of it. It's also are they along for the ride? Are they actually going to add more value to it? Because money in the end of the only goes so far. But if you have someone who has the right connections or has been there before, who understands the pitfalls you're about to, you know, to go on, on to, uh, it really does add a lot of value. And that's why it's so important to actually understand even is it a good match personality wise, right? You guys match like the way you, the way we communicate is completely different than the way someone else communicates. And that's okay. But then there might be some misalignment there, right? Um, and that's, that's super key. It's just like understanding, okay, uh, you know, do we speak the same language or not? Are we on the same like brain length or brain, brain wave, brain length, yeah, something like that or not? So yeah, that's, that's super key. But what, what tips would you give to someone? Like what tips would you give to yourself? I don't know. Whenever you start this project, like if you look back and say, Hey, when I was starting this, I wish I knew this. What would that be? Don't be afraid of other people saying no to you. Was, it, was that like your biggest uh, fear? Is getting a lot of rejection or? Mm, I, I'm a kind of, so to be transparent, I am the kind of person who really care about how other people think of me initially, uh-huh. initially that, but that obviously having, having changed throughout this entrepreneurial journey, but initially I was really scared to reach out to people, to code email people. I can be so nervous that my heart pounded so quickly in my first outreach call mm-hmm. with one of the um, one of the person one of the school teacher I reached out to, and I was really scared to hear that no from her. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah, I remember I clearly remember that was a yes at the end. So that kind of gave me like a an ex- a huge encouragement to be like just keep going and then. Obviously, there can be sometimes rejections, um, and at at the first time, it was like I felt really discouraged. I felt really devastated. I was like, "Oh, what if? Like a lot of what if? What if I reach out again and other people keep saying no?" So you don't really want to be trapped into that loop of negativity. I think a lot of people found it really difficult because. They're scared of hearing rejection from people, um, but I think you know, as a founder, you know, you can you hear lots of stories how other people want to go fundraising and then keep hearing no's from VCs. It's just a common thing in the in the startup world. So being resilient from there, I think, is super key. If you if you snapped just because someone said no to you, then yeah. I don't think you're you're a qualified founder. <laughs> the other thing was quite interesting when I think a few years ago they said some of the best founders are those that worked in business development because uh, I know Ricardo is a specialist in this area and I, I, I did it for a little bit and my god it's horrible but uh, you get used to the word no 24-7 and the, the one thing that comes into your back of your head is move on build that lead pipeline just keep on going if one closes you get it but just keep on building that pipeline of leads and you know, I, I always thought that was funny when they said that to me because I didn't realize that. But from that conversation, it just suddenly clicked back that doing the business development side, 
you get no is pretty much the word you get so used to because every time no 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 but probably five percent of the time you get a yes or a maybe and that's where you kind of oh i've got one yes and maybe now how do i get another 10 or 15 of these and it's kind of that motivates you and you keep on going and then eventually one closes but you know ricardo's a director on a, a couple other big companies on that side and he, he can kind of give a better indication of uh yeah there's there's no. a there's sales training um there's this guy called brian trace he's a very old american he did this crazy sales training but he said something quite funny he said he would always get excited by the time he reached the the 49 call and then people like why because i know by the 50th i'll get a yes so he was just counting down the nose and saying okay i know i'm, I'm almost at 50 almost at 50 and I kid you not, whenever I was making cold calls, I was like, let me get to the 50, to the 50th. And then there was normally around 51, 52, there'll normally be a yes. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then continue. I, was, I couldn't care. Like number 29, we're going to say no, that's okay. I was expecting it. Carry on. Uh, but it takes, it takes a while to get to that stage, right? And it's, it's, it's a hard game to get there. But yeah, it's normal. So like adding on top of that, I think mm-hmm. what I did back then is like after getting a no, I would reflect on what I did and that like maybe I, I could have done something else in the way that I approach people. So I will constantly reflect on, okay, what's the reason why people are saying no to me? Is it because of the way I cross my language, my outreach email, or is it something else? So I think like, again, you have to think about how to best approach other people, how to be strategic. I like to put it this way, like mm-hmm. not just keep going and going and going and until someone said yes but yeah. also see how you can kind of adjust the way you do things maybe that can increase the chances of hearing a yes so yeah. practice makes, makes it perfect right so uh the more you try the the more feedback you get the better you're going to get something right and that's yeah. that's especially when you're starting out in any new thing i mean Look at our podcast. The first episode was an absolute disaster, to be honest. <laughs> like even our cameras, our camera angle was completely wrong, and we didn't know what we were doing, and it was too long. And so it does happen, but you know, it just gets better over time. I hope it gets better over time. Uh, I think it's getting better, but yeah, it's part of the game. Even for us, we're slightly older, especially Harry's, you know, reaching eighty. Now. Uh, I didn't want to say anything, um, <laughs> but it's, it is. It is. You know, practice does make perfect. Um, Sally, if people want to reach out to you, um, how can they do so? Yeah, so they can always uh, DM me on LinkedIn or find me through Instagram. What's your like? Uh, what's your handle? <laughs> your handle? Oh, yeah. um, so I think if you just search Sally Low, S A L L Y L O on LinkedIn, you should be able to see my profile. And I'm always very open to any coffee chats or DM or even online calls. Um, Either you are looking to join the team, which we are actually currently hiring. We're looking for marketing talent, outreach talent, and also people who has any AI IT background. We greatly appreciate those things. Um, and yeah, or if you are just someone who is a little bit lost in the entrepreneurial world, especially if you're a student and you're like, oh, I have this idea, but I don't know how to execute it. Always happy to share um, some of my kind of advice on that. If you think you'd want someone to help you a little bit in this world, uh, in this journey, um, so yeah. Cool. Sounds good. So thank, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And yeah, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you.